you have to be comfortable with not having the answers to the questions that the old story answered, such as what's real? How does the world work? What's important? Who am I? What's the purpose of life? To be in between stories, you don't know who you are. You don't know what's real. You don't know how to do this thing called life. And it's a very tender and sacred place to be. I'm Charles Eisenstein, and this is the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm Luke Story, and this is episode 392, Healing the Collective and Awakening to Unity, featuring Charles Eisenstein. Our sponsors today are Inside Tracker, Leela Quantum, Juve, and Blue Blocks. Charles Eisenstein is an essayist, speaker, and the author of several books, including The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. Now, I've been following his work for some time and just waiting to pounce on the perfect moment to host him on the show. And folks, thankfully, that moment is now. Charles is a profoundly thoughtful person and one I continue to learn from and be inspired by ongoing. If you'd like to get to know the work of Charles Eisenstein even better in terms of exploring his incredible books and essays, you can find all of them linked at lukestory.com slash Charles. You'll find all of the show notes for everything we talk about today at lukestory.com slash Charles. And I will also add that if you like this episode, you'll love my Telegram channel where I post everything I want to say that would get me nuked from the other communistic social media platforms. You can find it by visiting lukestory.com slash Telegram. That's lukestory.com slash Telegram. However, I must warn you to enter at your own risk. It's uh, pretty controversial in there. Okay, now on to a brief topic breakdown. And uh, in the interest of time, I, of course, have omitted so many of the incredible moments during this conversation. But these were a few that piqued my interest when I sat to do the intro today. The necessity of seeing those on the other side as potential allies, how we can support those stuck in the struggle of resisting cognitive dissonance to achieve acceptance of truth, the intersection of doing the inner work that uplifts the world around us and the desire to exert our will on the external world, the many nuances of good versus evil and the game of duality, the recent inversion of liberal and conservative values that has hijacked our compassionate nature in the name of authoritarianism. We also talk a bit about the work of my main teacher, Dr. David R. Hawkins, and how his book Power Versus Forts relates to the prophetic teachings of the 12 Steps. Charles goes on to explain the true nature of our physical heart as a listening organ, deconstructing the widely accepted notion that it is a simple mechanical pump, removing the desire to punish those who are causing suffering in the world, the difference between COVID-19 and the other chronic diseases of the past that you will never forget, and finally, how to empower yourself by learning the difference between common law and maritime law. Very interesting stuff right there, my friends. I would definitely stay tuned through the end of this conversation. And if you take anything away from this episode, I hope it's the fact that we must be able to find empathy and forgiveness for all people, even those people we categorize as the most diabolical and wrong. My hope is that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here, my friends, is the brilliant Charles Eisenstein. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Luke. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you rolled through town. And I got wind of it and was able to track you down. You're someone I've wanted to have a conversation with for a while. And as I was telling you before we recorded, I'm just like, ah, I'm just, I'm going to wait until it's not a Zoom. And, mm -hmm. and magically you appeared. 
I want to start by asking you, what is the most, the world is in such a strange transition right now. And I think from one perspective, people could say we're in a really bad way. Others could say we're in an awakening about which we don't know the outcome yet, but ultimately good will prevail. To you, what's the most exciting and amazing thing in your life right now? I have the feeling of a lot of new horizons opening and the shifting of my tribe uh, through this process of that we're calling COVID. There's been a lot of rearrangement. People who I had thought of as deep allies have taken a different path. And I've learned, I think one thing maybe I would say we've learned who is brave and who is reliable and who is willing to change. One of the most important character qualities that I've come to appreciate and to cultivate in myself is the willingness to be wrong <laughs> and, and to accept that and to not hold so tightly onto a story and narrative in which I'm the hero, in which I've been right all along, in which I'm going to be vindicated. It's, that's all kind of a domination mentality that it's been very freeing to, I can't say I've totally let go of it, but, but to, to let go of it a bit. And I think that, that maybe one thing to answer your question that gives me a lot of hope and optimism is that I'm starting to see signs on a collective level, even at the same time as there's a lot of doubling down on old stories, I feel like they're loosening their grip. And that gives me a lot of excitement and, and, and hope for the future. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see as all of these changes have taken place, that sort of addiction or attachment to positionality, mm -hmm. right? And because we're dealing with so many things that seem to just, I mean, literally threaten one's life, right? And so you have people just kind of pushed to the edges of their base instincts. And within that, that rigid perspective of who's right and who's wrong and that sort of ego gratification of self-righteousness. I mean, I see a lot of that, but as you said, also... Mm. I think there's a lot of moderate people that maybe in weren't involved in some of these difficult conversations that are sort of being brought to the table mm -hmm. because of the necessity uh, yeah. of, their, of their contribution or lack thereof. And I think it's also really important to hold that for each other rather than seeing each other, especially people on the other side, as so set in their beliefs that they're never going to change and to cast them as the enemy who have to be overcome and defeated in order for change to happen. I don't think that that is even a realistic formula for change. I think that, that it's not that change is, is going to happen, not as a victory over the other side, <laughs> right? but because right. many in the other side defect because in fact, they were never as ideologically committed as we might have thought they were. And why did we think they were? Well, it actually is validating to yourself to hold the other side as these irreconcilable enemies. So there's a lot of psychology in here that, that is coming up through the social political environment that we're in, like huge opportunity for, for learning about ourselves. Yeah, I guess if we're willing to do so. What about the 
kind of phenomenon that I see so much out, outside of like the victim perpetrator narrative and us versus them, but just this massive large scale cognitive dissonance that people are experiencing. I think so many people are realizing, oh, wow, this system in which we live as a human species is is broken and there's so much deceit and corruption within that system, specifically kind of from the top of the pyramid of the system trickling down. And as long as we had our job and our family and our food and everything was kind of covered, we didn't have to question it. And now that many people have been given the opportunity to question it, there's also a large sect of people that are sort of covering their eyes and ears and saying, no, it can't be so. And kind of towing, you know, the party line and, and just adamantly siding with the state and unable to acknowledge that there are in fact nefarious characters at some of the highest levels of, of our cultures. <clears throat> and there's just this incredible denial in that. Mm -hmm. So for, yeah, for one thing, it's really hard to let go of a belief, especially when it's not some disembodied abstract intellectual belief, but it involves your own identity. And beliefs about the world, how the world works, usually involve yourself because you play a role in that world. And, and who you are is defined in relation to the system. So, so when, when your view of the system begins to disintegrate, when contradictions appear more and more undeniably, it's a crisis in identity and therefore a threat, a threat to the ego's construction of itself. Someone recently, I recently read about how the, like when, when, when your life is threatened, like, like say I, you know, had a gun to your head, the part of the amygdala that responds is exactly the same as when I assault one of your beliefs. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's taken up at that level of threat. And I think wow. we, have to, we have to understand that, you know, and not be contemptuous of people who are, are clinging to their beliefs, but we have to understand like this is a huge challenge that a lot of people are facing now. And, and so the question then is how do we make that easier for people to go through the process of cognitive dissonance and release and stepping into the, I don't know, because that's the way station in between the old story <laughs> and the new story. <laughs> the, I don't know. That's good. It's that's the space good. between stories Yeah, where, where you, where you have to be comfortable with not having the answers to the questions that the old story answered, such as what's real, how does the world work? What's important? Who am I? What's the purpose of life? To be in between stories, you don't know who you are. You don't know what's real. You don't know how to do this thing called life. And it's a very tender and sacred place to be. And I think that we can actually encourage change to happen faster by holding a gracious, gentle, and generous space for people to move through that process. Wow, I like that. Yeah, the way station. I think that that, <laughs> that spot is, is informed by humility and open-mindedness, right? I mean, to me, that's kind of the gateway of personal and interpersonal and even uh, change on a larger scale is that 
hey, this is what I think, and this is what I believe to be true. I, I know that I'm, I have an awareness that I'm deeply identified with this position, but there's a willingness to surrender the positionality and, yeah. and, and to have the courage to weather the perceived storm of being wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yesterday, Luke, yesterday you said that X, Y, Z was true. And now you're saying you're flip-flopping, you know, there's that whole thing. They're flip-flopping. You can't trust them. I mean, mm-hmm. I love people that flip-flop, right? I mean, not out of integrity, but someone who has a point of view that's firmly held and says, mm-hmm. wow, you know what? I have to admit there was another way to look at this. It's so yeah. healthy. I mean, just saying it feels good in my nervous system to just like let go of that clinging to what I think is right and what I think is a representation of who and what I am versus just an idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and just in case anyone thinks I'm being preachy, like the it's not that me and my side and our side, we're we've arrived at the truth and other people still have to go through this process of letting <laughs> okay. go. Okay. There's, I don't care who you are. The, the, the nature of our times, the initiatory moment that we are in will offer every single person an opportunity to go through this in one way or another. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit for rhetorical effect, but the offering is that there's something that you held dear that may not be true or may be true no longer. And what does true mean? Partly it's a state of being that because the story that we live in co-resonates with a state of human beingness. And as we grow and fulfill that story and that state of being, then the story that contains our growth becomes confining and we want to break free and often the breakout at first it's like it's just another version of the same thing because you haven't actually gotten to that point of total surrender the total i don't know it doesn't have to be like every aspect of life i don't know but there's something that was held dear something that was part of who you were and that's why i think that these times are initiatory and so like if you don't mind i could I don't want to dominate the conversation no, too much. No, you're supposed to dominate okay. the conversation. And please do, because otherwise I will. <laughs> All right. Afterward, I'll be like, Luke, shut up. You talk too much. So no, please. I, I love listening to you talk. Okay. And, there's a lot of my mind. These and, days. Yeah. and right. I mean, I think people that are aware of your work and those that weren't are going to be after this uh, conversation. But no, I mean, when you, when you rap, bro, like I dig it. So please. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that, that struck me as, as you were talking so like you like the cognitive dissonance of of seeing that there are nefarious characters at the apex of the power structure administering a system that is not to our benefit and that is an awakening and it can also be a return to the comfort zone of a deeper story which is the fundamental pattern of diagnosis of if there's evil in the world, it's caused by a perpetrator, caused by a pathogen. Like that's the basic diagnosis. And the solution then is if you get rid of the pathogen, if you get rid of those horrible people in the power structure, the problem is solved. And it can be bewildering revelation to 
encounter people in the power structure and experience them as not particularly evil at all, but as avatars of a system, of an ideology that prescribes their roles and has them do things that cause a lot of evil, even if they have no consciousness of malice. So, you know, I think of people like like Bill Gates in that regard, and I'm not saying like he's, you know, a good guy necessarily, but like I could see how somebody who is fully immersed in the ideology of control and technology and the ideology that human advancement means that we apply technology to more and more areas of life, that we datify, quantify, track, and control everything, rationally administer it so that we can maximize the good of all. And, and, and you know, who's in charge of this? Well, the good guys are. I am. And, and so I can imagine Bill Gates having the consciousness of wanting to serve humanity. And the way to do it. <laughs> this is good. This is good. You're stretching it, my capacity for a greater understanding. This the way to great. do it is to control everything. Right. You know, like, like including the population. And yeah. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe there's people out there who are going to commit some crimes, but we can anticipate that. We could have implants in everybody that would measure the stress hormones that precede violence. And there could be like a kill switch. I mean, maybe not kill them, but, you know, render them in incapacitate them. Like, why wouldn't that be good? And okay, yeah, it could be abused, but luckily we good guys, we smart guys, we rational guys, usually it's guys, are in power. And so we're not going to let that happen. We're only going to use it for the good. And part of the good is protecting our power from those who would usurp it, who may not be good. So we have to control the opposition who are poisoning the body politic with fake information, fake news, disinformation. So like this mentality of power can exist without anybody malicious at the top. Now, there could also be highly psychopathic individuals in the power structure, even at the top. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but in my understanding, it's not necessary to explain things. And then so I go to the deeper pattern of diagnosis, and I see a parallel between the diagnosis of evil in the world being a diabolical cabal and the diagnosis of the decline of health being a pathogen or a bunch of pathogens. There was a comfort, almost a relief when COVID hit, because here we have an entire generation that's getting sicker and sicker. Whether you talk about you know, autoimmunity, addiction, depression, like all of these chronic conditions, allergies, just, just at, at levels many times what they were when I was a kid. But there's something not going, it's not, this is, it's not going well. And we don't know what to do about it. Like there's no pathogen. They, they try, they would love to find the gene that causes X the virus that causes why, they would love that. Because why? Because we know what to do. There's something to fight, something to control. So finally, COVID comes along and this latent anxiety, and it's not just about health, okay? I mean, our society 
is degenerating in many ways, ecologically, socially, politically. COVID comes along, and now we can focus all of that latent anxiety and fear onto something that we can control through lockdowns, through distancing, et cetera, like all that stuff, masks, vaccines. It fits the old story. So I just want to put a word in for a deep questioning of all of the dimensions of the story of progress through control. Because I think that the the real revolution here is not going to happen by, you know, hauling out the perpetrators, the psychopaths, the corrupt, and sending them to the guillotine. We've seen that story before. They're not the first. I mean, they're not the last to be guillotined. Yeah. Nope. As someone who spends so much time, energy, and money to be healthy, I want to keep track of what's working and what's not. That's why I'm really into this company I found called Inside Tracker. They are an ultra-personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. Through their app and testing protocol, I'm able to get a clear picture of what my body looks like on the inside. And I also get a clear measure of whether my diet, supplement, and exercise choices are helping or even hurting. I did the whole inside tracker deal recently and was actually shocked to find that I was less than perfect in some areas. My cholesterol and B vitamins were high, for example, and a few other things that need a little tweaking. There was, of course, also some good news as my overall health score was that of a much younger person and certainly more optimized than your average American. And that's the point. The whole goal with Inside Tracker is to be optimized, not normal. So they don't merely show you the normal biomarker zones. They show you the optimal biomarker zones and numbers that are best for your individual body. So if you want to check this out, I highly recommend you sign up for Inside Tracker now. You're going to get your testing done, the results of your biomarkers, and then some incredible lifestyle and diet recommendations from their brainiac scientists to help you improve everything you find. Just go to insidetracker.com slash Luke, where you will save 25% off your entire order. That's insidetracker.com slash Luke. This brings me to, I mean, one of the, I think the major inquiries, not only for myself, but for so many people. And it's sort of at the base of atheism in many ways. And that is, okay, if there is a malevolent, all-intelligent, all-loving creator or being, then how how and why is there the existence of evil and the and the humans and entities that perpetrate this evil? And I've been able to zoom out from that pretty far at times, specifically in in ceremony. And I've looked at someone like Bill Gates or people that I perceive to be these diabolical evil characters and gotten to the place where in a world of duality, they're playing their role perfectly, right? But then coming out of that awareness and back into being this guy they call Luke Story walking around and and wanting to make a positive contribution to my own life and the lives of those I interface with, there's still then comes back, yeah, but we still have to stop them. But there's just going to be another one and another one and another one until consciousness collectively 
is able to sort of rise above or supersede that duality. And without this duality, we don't really have the grist for the mill in earth school to have contrast of choice. So if I incarnate as the sky and I don't have something on the other end of the spectrum of the most diabolically evil political person in power versus, you know, the Dalai Lama or whoever, Mother Teresa, these holy people are at least people that we at least hold up to that. It's like, if I don't have options, then what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. There has to be the contrast of duality in order to have that human experience. So that leaves me with kind of a, almost not like apathy in a, in a sad, low energy way, but it's just like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't try to change anything except myself. And then that leads us back into kind of what I was alluding to before we recorded. I don't know that there's a question in there, but it's almost like the world is perfect just as it is. Do your own work and just focus on getting along with your stepmom. You know what I mean? It's like the the kind of mass spiritual bypass of focusing on the externals and wanting to change and get rid of all these characters that are just going to be replaced versus what can I do interpersonally within myself to elevate consciousness and escape my own trap of duality and good versus evil and all that. There's totally not a question in there, but oh, there's lots, lots just of kind of, yeah. you know, anything you want to grab in there. These, these are the things just, I wake up going, huh, what, what do I do with this? Cause it's all perfect. Really. It's all the way it's supposed to be yet. I, for some reason feel within me, a need to change things. Yeah. Okay. So first, this is not a, a question that can be resolved by principle. So here's another basic solution template that we need to question, which is that in order to know what to do in life, you formulate a differentiating principle. So like the principle of, okay, do the inner work first, or don't try to change the system, or it's all good. Like, like we're looking for some kind of crutch. <laughs> you know? I want a definitive answer that yeah. this is the way you do it. That's not the way right. you do it. Right. right. But in fact, you already know what to do. And, and the, the, the evolution of the collective organism of humanity and beyond, Gaia, it's actually even cosmic, it, you have a role in that. And the role is communicated to you mostly through the body and through the heart and through the blood that soaks up everything happening. How esoteric should I get here or how woo-woo should I get here? All the way. Take it as far okay. as you can. <laughs> so, so you know how water is a carrier of information, yeah. and the blood is especially sensitive to everything happening in the world. So it is patterned by the ecological and psychic field of this planet, and moving through the heart, the heart is, is primarily a listening organ, not a pump. In fact, it isn't a pump at all. Like, how could a pump push a viscous fluid through, like, miles of vessels. It's not a pump. It catches and passes forward and listens to the blood and receives that information, translates it into passion, into care, into love. So the signal from the coordinating power of the evolutionary process comes through the heart in the form of what do you care about? And at one moment in your life, you may know that repairing the relationship with your mother-in-law is the best thing you could do for the planet, but you don't, don't even frame it in those terms. Like you know what to do because you are life, just like an animal knows what to do. Contacting that knowledge and the, and the truth of what I said is 
a powerful awakening of that knowledge. So that, that's like my preamble to this. You said, but these people have to be stopped, right? Yes, they have to be stopped. And sometimes that, that signal of care will have you put your body between the perpetrator and the victim. I'm, I'm not advocating uh, any kind of withdrawal from engagement in the issues of our day. They have to be stopped as part of the change when that is what's calling to you. They don't have to be punished. When you slip in. <laughs> that's the juice right there. Yes. You know, that, that's when I think the ego feels like the change that it wants has transpired is that those people who are causing suffering suffer, right? Mm -hmm. It's the whole thing we saw in 2016. I hate these people that hate people. Right. That, that mentality, right? right. I, I want to punish them because they've hurt people. <laughs> you know, it's this right. vicious cycle of the egoic victim perpetrator right. model that just goes around and around in circles. Which is the, the, the template. The template of that is imposing suffering for the good. Oh, right. And right. that is what dictators, tyrants have done for thousands of years. It's always justified. Oh, but our justification, justifications are good and theirs are bad. We're, well, oh yeah, like, yeah, we're on the side of good. So that gives us license to do evil because we're on the side of good. It brings up my, my favorite quote, Philip K. Dick, to fight the empire is to be infected with its derangement. This is a paradox. Whoever defeats a segment of the empire becomes the empire. It proliferates like a virus, imposing its form on its enemies. Thereby, it becomes its enemies. Like you are actually part of the empire when you participate in the mentality of vengeance, of punishment, of imposing suffering for the good, because they deserve it. There will come a moment where you have to decide, and this could be in your personal realm, it could be as a in your social, political engagement, there will come a moment where you have to choose between punishment and healing. And you'll have to choose if, if it is necessary for the healing of society, if it is necessary for all of this to stop, that the perpetrators get off scot-free. Do you accept that? They walk. And maybe they're never humiliated and you're never vindicated Right. But it changes. Right. But it right, stops. Right. Are you willing to do that? That's good. If you're not willing, that means you're serving something else besides healing on a subtle level. And the call, the, the, the call to participate in the transformation that is before us requires absolute impeccable dedication to the aim of healing. If we want to experience that in our lifetimes, we have to put everything else on the altar and commit to that. And, you know, if you, don't, if you do that 90%, we'll live in a 90% healed world. If you do it even 1%, the world will still be much more beautiful in a generation than it is today. But we have an opportunity to give it 100%. Well, this brings the contrast of power versus force, right? 
Because what you're describing to me is an unconditional love, an unconditional compassion, unconditional forgiveness for the totality of human expression, even as it expresses individually through these quote unquote enemies, right? And that energy field of love and forgiveness is infinitely more powerful than uh, the biggest fit of rage that you could summon, right? I mean, you know, anger has some power, right? Fear has power, courage has power, but nothing has power of love. I mean, this is where a mother lifts the car off the baby. And this is where people are able to endure great suffering and Viktor Frankl, you know, to turn it around and help thousands of people with their message, right? It's like, nothing beats that, right? That's, that's the Trump card, not to say the T word. My, my, mm -hmm. I try not to say the word Trump on my show. I mean, the listeners, I don't think get triggered, but it's just a funny thing I always say. At least I think it's funny. But you know, yeah. I mean, this really is it. So if the way to a more fulfilling subjective experience is to universally and objectively just throw more love and compassion at this whole thing and understand that every perpetrator that I have vilified is truly doing what they believe to be right and at one level are inherently innocent. I mean, everyone's really innocent, right? Because each person is doing what they believe to be right. But within that, you know, I think you kind of alluded to this where sometimes love is like, no, stop, fuck you. That's also love, mm -hmm. right? That's, you know, someone's victimizing someone that you care about and that love expresses itself as a firm boundary. Mm -hmm. That's also still love. So I think that's where I get kind of caught up because I have a pretty easy time of forgiving all of these baddies, you know, and just going, wow, I don't know the full picture. In in uh, 200 years, 500 years, we'll look back and go, ah, this George Soros was like the perfect thing we needed at this point in time because look at, you right. know, the ball of of thread that unraveled after that. And here we are living in utopia. And that was a necessary linchpin of that great yes. experience. So as you were saying before, the the perpetrators, whether they're you're talking about people or ideologies or systems, they give us an opportunity to love when it's hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they give us an opportunity to be brave. Otherwise, we would never really know who we are. We would never know, we would never know ourselves to be capable of choosing love when our lives are threatened or our livelihoods are threatened. So th this process of revelation and growth requires what we're calling evil. And I generally agree that, you know, whatever, Bill Gates, George Soros, that, that they are very much products of their conditions, their subculture, their upbringing, and the reigning ideologies of modernity that are in a specially distilled form in the worlds of tech and, and power politics, you know, and if I were in that totality of circumstances, I would very much, very likely do as they do. Yeah, definitely. Right. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness yeah. is simply yeah. understanding. It's not an act of indulgence. It's not patronizing. It's not tolerant. It's not saying, oh, well, I would do better than you if I were in your circumstances, but I'm a nice guy, so I'm not going to hold it over you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is the authentic understanding that, yeah, if that were me, I might do that too. And how deep can you go into that? 
There was a case a number of years ago of a woman who drowned her five kids in the bathtub. One after the other, each one knowing something was horribly wrong, waiting their turn. And I, it, it was like, that's one of the ones that really got under my skin as a parent. I mean, unimaginable. And I really went like, what would it take for me to do that? How, what would it take for me to be in such deep despair and despondency and psychosis? What would have to happen to me? What would have to happen to me to, to act like, you know, the people that I demonize act? Can I go there? Because if I can't, if I say, well, they're just evil, that means I'm shying away from actually going there. And maybe I never will know exactly the reasons. And but 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 that's what forgiveness is. It comes as a result of trying to understand. And the marker that you do not fully understand is when you're in judgment. Judgment meaning they're just different. I wouldn't do that if I were them. So all that said, there is also the phenomenon of a psychopath. But I think that psychopaths, true psychopaths, are a misunderstood and b much rarer than we think. That psychopathic tendencies are brought to the brought in, are, are activated by the system. But like the real psychopaths are usually not in positions of of top power, because one of the really underappreciated traits of psychopathy. There's a fantastic book, the like original book on psychopathy by this guy Cleckley. It's written in the 40s called The Mask of Sanity. <laughs> and, and the ruthlessness and total lack of compassion is one of the axes that describes a psychopath. The other axis oh. is impulsivity. Right. Taking right. like taking ridiculous risks for trivial rewards, you know, just to get a kick, like that does not lend itself well to being in power. So, anyway, I could I don't want to go too far down the rabbit yeah. hole of psychopathy, but but just to say, like, yeah, sometimes you just have to stop somebody from doing something, but to diagnose the whole system on that term is a trap. Like be, and okay, maybe I'm wrong, but again, I can understand pretty much everything that's happening without thinking that it's a consciously conspiring diabolical cabal in charge. And that is disorienting because then we don't know what to do. We know how to save the world if it is a diabolical cabal. That can be removed. Yeah, you just you just you know pick all the ticks off the dog. Yep. <laughs> Same solution as everything else. Kill something. Yeah. Same yeah. solution as weeds in the field. Kill them. Same yeah. solution as terrorists. Kill them. Kill, destroy, conquer. You know, force the perimeter. Like we're comfortable with that. But if it's if if the evil is systemic, if it enrolls each of us as participants in it. And if it can't be reduced to specific individuals, then what do you do? 
That is a pregnant question. And if you are able to step into that unknown, into that uncertainty, new powers will be born. And you were speaking of one of them, you called it the power of love. Tremendous creativity comes from being in reality. The reality of, if I were you, Mr. Soros, I might be doing the same as you're doing. So what is it like to be you? That's, that's what compassion is. What is it like to be you? It's not, again, an indulgence. And maybe the result is, yeah, I'm going to fight you with every force-based tool at my disposal. That could be the conclusion. But it's not the predestined conclusion as it is when I see people as irredeemably evil. Seeing them that way, we're locked into war as the only way to change things. And so much of our discourse, you know, around, say, health freedom, it's framed in these war, war metaphors, which are, I'm not saying that it's never appropriate, but we have to open our palette to, to other colors to paint a picture of a more beautiful world. I've been into energetic healing technologies for many years, especially those that are supportive for EMF exposure. And there are a lot of so-called quantum products on the market, and I've tried just about anyone I've ever heard of, but few of them have had any noticeable effect. However, there is one product line that's passed my test and become part of my arsenal, and it's called Leela Quantum Tech. Leela Quantum has developed a groundbreaking technology to increase your energy level, become more stress-resistant, and also helps to support your whole family, pets, and garden with pure quantum energy. The Leela Quantum products have been certified and studied by various third-party institutes and doctors, and these studies have found significant improvements in people's blood, cellular voltage, allergy reduction, and heart rate variability. But my favorite benefit of all is that the Leela Quantum products help neutralize harmful frequencies, including any EMF like 4G, 5G, microwaves, and Wi-Fi. In fact, I have the Leela Quantum block in my kitchen where I charge my food, drinks, and supplements, as well as the Infinity block in my living room and here in the studio for a huge energetic upgrade. Leela Quantum Tech is a truly conscious business that wants to do good in the world and even plants a tree for every order. So if you want to hook up your energetic environment and have a tree planted on your behalf, you can go to leelaq.com and use the code LUKE10 to save 10% off your first order. That's L-E-E-L-A-Q.com and the discount code is LUKE10 for new customers. I mean, it goes to the, uh, the line of thinking that you know, spending one's energy or collective energy on tearing down a system, right? So we have this industrial pharmaceutical system, which to me is at the present time, especially is a great threat to, to humankind in general. I mean, just to blanket the whole thing, I'm like, totally. wow. Yeah. So we got to fire the CEO, put this one in prison, yada, 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 right? Like that's kind of the immediate, you know, perceived gratification, Versus the other idea of just, cool, you guys do your thing over here. We're going to build this other thing. And we're just busy constructively building this other thing and, you know, hoping that it kind of out outgrows yours, right? Mm-hmm. It seems to me that that's probably the most effective way to do it. I'm using a really simplistic example of that, but that could also be interpersonally. See, again, like 
that I think that's important. But again, I would say you can't say that that is the solution as a principle. But a lot of people are called to that, and you know you can make the argument that that's the way to go. But you know, then again, like you create your beautiful parallel system, and then it gets crushed. So there's also (laughs) (laughs) there's no way out of this. One thing I I want to touch on that I think is is really important, especially because we have so much division now. I mean, things have really gotten quite black and white, and at least in this country, and I guess in in many Western countries, you're with us or you're with them. I mean, it's just there's not a lot of overlap. And this idea that when I look at someone with whom I vehemently disagree and judge, that if I can project myself into their life experience, if I was born to their mother in that Mm -hmm. hospital with that missing or abusive father and so on and so on and so on, that I would be making the exact same choices they are, right? But it's difficult for me to get there because my experience was different, right? So to find that compassion. But I think that's such a beautiful exercise and it sort of stops. And I think what we just covered is, okay, yeah, so I'm there, but how is that not, you know, co-signing or sort of enabling them to perpetuate however that experience is manifesting that's negatively impacting so many other people? You know, it's like, how do we forgive someone and still stop them? Well, one thing you can do is to introduce a new element into their circumstances. Every interaction you have with somebody changes their circumstances. So you you could take, say, like a very stingy, ungenerous person, and you give a gift to them that's important to them that disrupts their view of reality and human nature. That, yeah, everyone's in it for themselves, that we live in a world of scarcity, that it's not safe to give, and you provide a glaring exception to that in the right moment, and it gets under their skin. And that data point doesn't fit into their story, which means that it is an offering for them to let go of that story, not a guarantee that they will, but it's an anomaly. And, and so that's like just a little micro example. That's really good. That's really mm-hmm. good. I, I do that on a good day. It's one of, I don't know where I picked this up. One of my teachers must've passed this along to me, but you know, like you walk into the bank and and you're in a good mood and you're just chilling, living your life. You got to go do the thing transaction and you go up to the counter and the person is just hateful, Mm -hmm. you know, just being super bitchy, super dicky. And of course that, well, not of course, but at times that impulse would be like, uh, meet them with that. Right. And I've made a practice, not perfectly, obviously, but getting much better at this is just like, especially like actually sending that energy field of love to people. It's really easy to do when it's, when it's met with a smile and that's what they're automatically giving you, but to just like love the anger out of someone in that situation and almost use it as, as a challenge to myself. Like, can I pattern interrupt this Mm -hmm. person's negative experience of their life or of me interacting with them? Can I watch that transmutation happen? Can I be a a willing participant in that micro experience of turning the energy around in in an interaction? I love doing Mm -hmm. this just, but not in a, you know, like, cause you could be like, oh, how are you? You know, you could fake it. Right. And be sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like placating or Mm -hmm. kind of um, one-upping someone because you're being more compassionate and they're 
you know, lower on the totem pole of their spiritual evolution or whatever, but no, but really, really doing it and really loving on them and seeing that grimace turn into a smile. And I mean, it's like, who knows what the ripple effect of that is, right? They go have a meeting with the manager and that goes better or they're subordinate or they get home and pick their kids up from school and they're just a little more compassionate and that kid had a hard day and so on and so on and so on. This ripple effect just of, of, uh, one ten thousandth of a second decision on my part to just go mm, go that way, just lean that way, just a hair. That's all it takes. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it's a it's a beautiful a beautiful way to live. You know, it gives us something to work on continually, right? Yes. Because it's never oh yeah that thing yeah I read that in that spiritual book and I did that I passed that stage. Well, no, you didn't because you're still in a body, right? There's still going to be an opportunity to exert that level of unconditional compassion, empathy, love for the people with whom you interact. Yeah, it's an orientation. I mean, most of these interactions will be micro interactions. And, you know, maybe, I mean, you you don't want to like say it's going to, you know, change someone's life because I smiled at them in the checkout line. But, But the more that, like those are, those micro interactions are also practice for the more significant interactions. Oh, right. Yeah. Kind of building that muscle. So when it mm-hmm. when it's a higher stakes exchange right. or interaction, like familial, something like that, you're in a divorce right. now or uh, separation right. of a business partnership, and how can you bring and that? And the temptation to hold them in a story of right. they're deplorable, they're horrible, is so strong. <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. And... and this, it's really a, like, it's a basic form of solidarity. You know, it's like, I refuse to see you as an enemy. And yeah, maybe, you know, circumstances have converged so that we are on opposite sides of something, but fundamentally, you are, you're, we're in this together, in this drama of life. And I'm not going to forget that. And I'm constantly making peace offerings constantly making invitations to step into that knowledge of solidarity because our differences of opinion, even the ones that erupt into conflict, they are based on delusion. All of the conflict that comes from the people on the other side are just horrible. That is all based on a lie. You have to paint people as horrible in order to go to war against them. And we see in our politics right now, both sides painting the other side as horrible. You get rid of that. Okay, there still might be differences of opinion, but this common agreement that the other side is horrible, that both sides share, disappears, and the agreements, the the disagreements are then so easy to resolve because there's not this other agenda of winning. You know? It's like, yeah. Right. I will so this is this is solidarity that if you think that this planet is going to heal, that life is going to improve without solidarity, you're going to be disappointed because this is the nature of the revolution right now. So in some of these micro interactions, it's hard to know like, you know, what to do in a situation where someone's just being really rude to you. And maybe sometimes you can't reach them. But the orientation, you're always attuned to an opportunity, and that attunement becomes a habit. Like you're always looking for the right thing to say. And the, the willingness and desire to do that 
generates creativity and spontaneity, often taking the form of humor. Like when all else fails, <laughs> the deepest common denominator we have is humor because humor is an offering that it's an invitation to step outside of these roles and opinions that we take so seriously. And that's why humor is offensive to highly ideologically committed people. Right. right. You know, the, the stereotype of the feminist, that's not funny, you know, right. Like, or the, you know, it's happening in politics a lot today. Like, yeah. Like, but, but so, so humor actually, you have to actually accept the peace offering to laugh with somebody. Cause really what you're saying is it's not all that serious. And so you step outside the matrix through humor with someone. And so that's, that's like, if I'm, you know, at the airport or, and you know, something like that, that's the offering that I, that I like to make. I mean, yeah, I like to smile at people, you know, be polite, you know, be friendly, but sometimes it's the, it's the humor that makes people feel not alone anymore. Yeah. That it's, it's one of my other favorite things to do is to kind of break someone out of their social role by just mm -hmm. pattern interrupting, by saying something that I at least perceive to be funny. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, right. Like airport's a great example, right? You're at the ticket counter and every person's just like, ah, oh, give me my, here's the idea, you know, and right. not necessarily being outgoing or friendly. And just, I love when someone's especially in a uniform and I just ignore their whole uniform and just like, what's up, dude? Like, you know, just talk to them. Like I would one of my friends or a normal yeah. person and have the same sort of lightness and sense of humor. And you can't always do it. There's a guy at the UPS store over here. I've been working on him for a good three months and Hi, sir. How are you? Oh, okay. What can I do for you today? He sounds like he's like on a TV commercial. Yeah. But I'm standing there right with him. And I haven't gotten to him, but many others I have where I'm just right. like, hey, man, human right here. You're a human. I see you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to see me, but I see you. Let's have some fun. Yeah. Like, you know, like just pattern it yeah. around. Break, it's an invitation. Break that rule. People can say no to the invitation and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. I guess I'm not. <laughs> Because I'm still working yeah. on this one, but I'll 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 get through them, or I won't. You know, you won't. I mean, sometimes you know, like it's, <laughs> it's also a bit of boldness and and holding that solidarity more important than maybe some image. You know, like one thing that just came to me is like I'm at the juice bar at the airport. You know, like there's a juice thing, and I'm like, yeah, don't put pineapple on that, please. Pineapple gives me hemorrhoids. Did you really want to know that? Maybe not. Never mind. I didn't say that. Like just something like that. Like it's pretty hard to pretend to be normal when you, you know, talk about yeah. your swollen hemorrhoids. It's just, it's just, it's like the creativity comes from letting go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of a, I don't know, you can just feel the ease in your nervous system when, when one stops taking themselves that seriously, the, the ability to kind of laugh at yourself without being, you know, false humility or being self-deprecating or coming from a shame place, but really just coming from a, I mean, I guess it's just humility, right? It's like, seeing yourself uh, more realistically for who and what you are and where you are and where you aren't mm -hmm. kind of um, taking some degree of ownership for the good parts about yourself and also acknowledging the things you need to work on. Right. Cause I used to view humility as like, it was more of the false humility. Like you give me a compliment. I'm like, no, 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 not me. I'm not that smart or that talented or whatever you're complimenting me for. But that's actually kind of not humility because I'm not just acknowledging a truth. Right. It's like not wanting to play too big or play too small. Playing mm -hmm. small is also kind of a shadow ego thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not humble to play small and not be in your full expression. 
but to be in your full expression at the expense of others or in a self-perceived way of being superior to others, then you lean into ego. But somewhere in the middle, there's kind of just a loose, lighthearted, humorous way of being that is always kind of the place I'm wanting to mm -hmm. stay as much as I can. It's kind mm -hmm. of a center line of being on that beam of kind of wearing the world like a loose garment and not taking anything too serious, you know, including and especially myself. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I want to just add in one thing here. Another one of these like really deep patterns that it will be overturned in this revolution. Don't take any of what we're saying as a new instruction set about how to be good. Like, like, okay, now I know how to be a good person. I'll walk this balance beam, you know, I'll be compassionate. I'll be like, that's not the reason we're doing this. And really, if you excavate this being good, what it really means is being acceptable. What it really means is getting approval from the internalized parent and the internalized social group and that craving to be a good person, to see really is to see yourself as a good person. It's really what the craving is. And for others to see you as a good person, that comes from a deep-seated self-rejection and history of conditional love that is, you know, we get it from our, our parents along with the unconditional love. We get it from society. I mean, it's ende endemic in society. So that, it comes from a wound. And to recognize that and to, to touch the part of you that doesn't need to be seen as a good person, but can trust yourself without that that reward shame bludgeon mm -hmm. that we think we have to use to keep ourselves on that balance beam. Yeah. Without that, then who do you become? Can you actually trust yourself without this enforcer? It's kind of scary to step into that. Well, folks, winter is here, and we all know what that means. The days are getting shorter and colder, and we'll have less of a chance to get the healthy, natural sunlight we need. Thankfully, I've got a hack for that. It's my Juve Red Light Therapy System. That's J-O-O-V-V. -V. Now, of course, Juve can't replace natural sunlight, but it does deliver similar wavelengths of light like red and near-infrared that have been clinically proven to be very beneficial for your health. In fact, thousands of peer-reviewed research articles have demonstrated the benefits of this light spectrum for things like skin health, reduced pain and inflammation, and faster muscle recovery. I've been using my Juve just about every day for the past four years, and it's one tool that I would definitely not want to live without. Another cool feature of Juve's latest generation of products is something they call ambient mode which is a lower power red light that helps balance out the blue light in your environment, or you can just use it alone as a super bright red light before bed. So now this winter is the best time ever to invest in a Juve unit. And for a limited time, Juve is offering all of my listeners an exclusive discount on your first order. Just go to juve.com and apply my code Luke to your qualifying order. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash Luke. Of course, some exclusions apply as this is a limited time offer, so hurry up and swoop up a juve.
Well, it's as you were talking about before with the heart, right? That the heart is this soul GPS system. You use this term, but you know, it informs the nervous system and the blood and the water in our blood that's carrying information. And mm -hmm. I know that for myself, the closer I can get to following my heart, the further I am uh, I from caring if I'm fitting within some model of what's a good person. You know, because even if, if I'm following my heart and I believe that I was, and then, you know, there was, I inadvertently offended someone or hurt someone or made a decision that maybe didn't get the outcome that I would have hoped it did. All I can really come back to is, well, I'm pretty sure I was following my heart and that can't be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that seems to be the, the way to avoid that perception of myself as perfect or imperfect, good, bad, right, wrong. Like there's no duality in the heart. It's just like go in the heart, move forward, proceed. I mean, I was talking to my wife about this morning. She was feeling some guilt around a, a situation. And, and I remember the situation and when it was about to happen, she's like, my heart's telling me to do this. This is what I'm guided to do. She did. And then afterward, the intellect kind of came in and like, ah, I think you fucked up. Mm -hmm. And I was reminding her, no, no, no. Remember? This was this was a heart-based decision and you followed that. And we have to just trust that ultimately it was, you know, for all intents and purposes, the right decision, right? And there's there's to absolve her of guilt and that no, actually you did something really courageous and you followed the plan that was given to you by what you perceive to be your heart, by intuition, by source, your higher self, call it what you will. I think that's a really good way to live because it falls outside of self-perfectionism or spiritual pride or any of that stuff, that baggage. And then I guess when you make a mistake and it's revealed that you did, you know, you, you amend that however you can, you know, and maybe, maybe you thought you were listening to your heart, but there was something else speaking to you and it might've, you know, got you off track for a minute. One thing I wanted to cover with you, let me, let me check the time. Cause I know it's 1126 AM right now. You have until 12, you said? Yeah, we can go for. Okay. Another 20 minutes. Easy. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So that'll kind of inform wh where I, where I want to go with this. Cause I, I do want to ask you, yeah, there's one thing I definitely want to get to, but something that I'm just fascinated by is socially. And I guess socio-politically this reaction to the whole COVID situation. And, and really even maybe before that, when Donald Trump ran for president and was elected for president, this strange axis polar shift of uh, liberal and conservative sort of mindset. And it goes into that cognitive dissonance as it pertains, I guess, like the culmination of that is like the people that are really into the experimental gene therapy and the people that are really not into it, right? And growing up in the 70s with a mom who was really liberal, born and raised in Berkeley, I've always thought of myself as a peacenik liberal, you know, like I don't like war. I like human rights. I accept all races, sexuality, do whatever you want, marry. You know what I mean? Like I have no desire in anyone controlling how someone's live as long, as long as they're not hurting other people basically now. And also that government should not intervene and trample the rights of people, whether under the guise of medical procedures or lack thereof. Right. Now, the positions that I take, and I try to hold them loosely, as we've been discussing, maybe imperfectly, I think I'm like on the side of a right-wing extremist or something. You know, if you had to label me as something in today's climate, and I see that what is labeled kind of left or liberal 
has become somehow aligned with the state and more totalitarian and authoritative, authoritarian. It's just weird. I don't know what to make of it. And sometimes I just kind of step back and look at social media and, and even mainstream media and go, how did they manage to do this? How did this inversion happen? Mm-hmm. And, or has it happened? Is it just me? What, what, what's your take on all of that? Where you have like, you know, someone who would call themselves, refer to themselves as a liberal, who's saying, no, it's appropriate for the state and these, you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies to tell you what to do with your body. And if you don't, you're a horrible person and you should die. It's like, how did, how did we get here? How did, how did it get flipped? And if so, who flipped it? Okay, there's, there's, there's many tributaries into the, that stream. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, yeah, I've probably got 20 more minutes. I'm like, here, no, I can, have I, a six-hour answer. No, I, can, I can probably condense it. So yeah, part of it is an inversion, but part of it is just like everything going into the mixing machine. So, but it has been pretty perplexing because like, like you, I've always thought of myself as, like I would say even a leftist, you know, not just a liberal, but like a, strongly anti-war, anti-imperialist, anti-colonialist, radical environmentalist leftist who like you is like, yeah, of course, like people should should choose without shame whatever sexual expression that they want, you know? And of course, like like there should be no discrimination based on race and we have to rehumanize each other, et cetera. And like all of a sudden the label of of liberal or left is going toward people who are accepting with little question the messages of the corporate political complex and you know believing what the intelligence agency is saying and believing what the pharmaceutical companies are saying i'm like hold on i thought that that questioning authority was left, you know, and the right was supposed to be authoritarian. I'm like, I'm confused here. Why are you calling me, me too. a right winger when I'm doing the same thing I've always done? Like, since when is is like believing the messaging of the pharmaceutical, like big pharma, big ag, big chemical, embedded in all of the other bigs, the and the captured regulatory agencies and all that stuff? Like, why are we all of a sudden? So it's a interesting question. And partly it's just that the label, the concept, the category of left has been essentially co-opted and turned into its opposite. It's, it's almost like a branding thing. It's like, yeah, let's use brand progressive. Okay. But there's more to it than that. Another element has to do with science as an institution, which for most of my life was offered in contradistinction to right-wing fundamentalist religion, which said, God hates gays, a woman's place is in the kitchen, was used to justify racism, was used to justify social inequality, biblical fundamentalism. Like, So that was the choice we were offered. And of course, as somebody who believed in equality for gay people and for women and for you know all races and so forth, it's like, yeah, I don't want any part of this irrational diluted religion, you know, science, man, science. So now that science has been co-opted by and, and, and you know, occupied 
by authoritarian powers, they are leveraging this old distinction and this old identification. But there's another aspect even deeper than that, which is the ideology of progress itself. And it's in the word progressive, which means basically that we are marching toward a more rational, more scientific, more enlightened society. And that the very essence of good government and progressive thinking is to do things more scientifically by, by using quantity, by making quantitative decisions based on measurable costs and benefits, by, by reducing things to quantifiable values. And 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 we will and it's related to the mentality of control too like we'll be able to make a better world if we can label everything and deploy our resources rationally so this is one of the deep solution templates to any problem you find something you can quantify and you control that variable so applied to climate change like how do we solve the ecological crisis find the one thing that everything else hinges on and address that one thing so this mentality of progress is deeply woven into the ideology of quantity and the science that is built around it, because science is fundamentally the study of quantity. To put something into scientific terms, you have to quantify it. So, and there's like, this is starting to fall apart. Like there's like qualitative research. And what does that really mean? That's a whole other rabbit hole. But, but so there's this, this uh, ideology of progress that includes an imperialist aspect. Like we go to countries, go to places in the world where people are superstitious and we edu- <laughs> right. educate them. It's, it's progress for us. But if you ask them, I mean, speaking of an indigenous culture that mm-hmm. gets decimated by these imperialistic, right. power-hungry, resource-hungry demons right. uh they're happy the way they are <laughs> they're fine or they Leave would us be alone. If, if we weren't if we weren't undermining yeah. their way of life yeah so i mean think of like thinking yeah. of the amazon right it's right. like um the people that were living there and are living there probably aren't like we need progress they're right seem to be doing just fine before right so know. there's a missionary aspect to this as yeah. well yeah that, yeah that, that is that closely parallels christian missionaryism in the last century so as a diehard anti-imperialist I really question all of this and question the idea that 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 the increasing control and quantification of life which is the domestication of life it's the subduing of the wild and caging it into our categories mm-hmm. and our numbers the dominionistic <sighs> yeah over, it's a very yeah. deep pattern so I, you know, I've questioned that my whole life, and I think more and more people are questioning it as science and technology have really failed to deliver their promises. Life is not qualitatively better than it was when I was a kid. And you can even like measure happiness indicators and stuff. Like, like it is not qualitatively better. We were supposed to be in utopia by now. <laughs> Yeah, flying cars, man. Flying cars, the end of disease, you know, a rational. My father was oh, a political man. scientist, you know, and, and oh, wow. he, you know, studied in the 50s, got his PhD in like the early 60s. And he was like, he was, he was absolutely sure. It was, it was just not even a question. 
that we're going to have amazing enlightened government because the politicians are going to look to the research that we're doing so that they can administer the system better. Like we're going to bring science to the realm of politics and we're going to bring it to the realm of, of like sociology and psychology and like the, the triumphs in the material realm will now be replicated in the social realm. And certainly by the in unbelievably futuristic year of 2020, we're going to have a much more rational society. We're going to engineer all of these social ills out of existence. This was like this, this flush of enthusiasm for progress. And so there's in like the progressive ideology, there's still a clinging to this vision. Therefore, it is very orthodox in the sense that this scientific ideology and the ideal of a data-driven, quantified, rational society is the religion of our time. That is the orthodoxy of our time. And I say it's a religion, and this would be another rabbit hole, because it is based on metaphysical principles. For example, that you can reduce everything to number, that you can isolate and control variables, that you can separate the experimenter from the experimenter, from the experiment fundamentally. This is, I won't go any more into that. I have stuff written on that, but, but I guess just to like say the turning, which is what revolution means, goes that deep. This is the moment. It's not just like throw the old people out and put new people in. And it's not only systems change. It's mythology change. It's the answers to the deepest questions that, that we ask as human beings. Who am I? What's real? How do I do this? Why am I here? That is what is changing. And along with it, all of our relationships to each other and especially to other life that we call nature, like the whole division between human and nature, that's not sustainable. Oh my God. Yeah. Everything is changing. How much, how much of that change you describe is dependent on a change in the overall level of consciousness of humanity versus is the massive change in consciousness coming as a result of that change? Is, is that a chicken yes. before the egg, cart before Oof. the horse thing? Mm -hmm. It's kind of all one thing, right? It's a gestalt. It's, it's, it's the human consciousness and the systems that are built on human consciousness are both changing all together. And it can't be any other way. Neither one is necessarily prior to the other. Like you, you might say that consciousness comes your consciousness comes first and when you change it, then your circumstances change. But I mean, haven't you ever like been put into different circumstances and you find that your consciousness is changing? Yeah, it does go both yeah. ways. It's, it's not an either or. Cause of course, like there's always self-referential arrangements that I'm doing while you're talking. I'm like, oh, well, how does this relate to me and my past and experiences? But yeah, there have been times of benediction, right? Just an up-leveling of awareness sense mm -hmm. of being, understanding, dare I say, wisdom, mm -hmm. and then change externally has been affected. Yeah, like you find yourself a burning man. 
And <laughs> I mean, I've never been there, but or whatever in like, a similar situation. Yeah. yeah, like who you thought you were just does not apply anymore. Right. It's not even relevant. And parts of you that had not been visible, including a consciousness that has not been visible, comes to the surface. Yeah. And conditions are changing now. And so people are, you know, on the one hand, afraid of it and trying to stop it and retreat into the familiar. But as reality invades the fortress, more and more people are, are being called into to explore new parts of their consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the best time ever. <laughs> you know, well, who's the, who's the quote from? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Charles Dickens. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think of that, even though I can't never remember who it, who said it, but I'm like, yeah, cause I'll look at just, just the most insane collective experience that we're having now. I mean, just all you have to do is like, look at Twitter for five minutes. And I'm just like, wait, what? This is the worst ever. But, like subjectively in my own life. And, you know, I guess there's, I have some karmic merit perhaps or grace and some hard work, but like, if I ignored everything going on in the world that I perceive to be like the worst ever and things are going terribly for humanity in my personal life, it's never been better Mm -hmm. by all measurable metrics. Mm -hmm. Like if I had no TV, no phone, and I was totally cut off from Mm -hmm. the world, I would be happier than ever been in my life Mm -hmm. and more successful internally, externally, every single way. Mm -hmm. So yeah. like how do you how do you even hold that that dichotomy, you know? Because I mean it's, it goes like Ramana Maharshi, right? And this is the thing I always hit up against when I feel like, ah, oh, I see a thing in the world that I don't like and I think it could be better. I want to exert my will over it and change it. Ramana Maharshi said, Don't bother trying to change the world because the world you see doesn't even exist. Meaning that everything you see is but a projection of your own consciousness and and your positionality of perception that's actually creating the world that you see now i don't know what the 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 answer is so just don't do anything but no i'm not yeah like i'm not gonna try to entangle that (laughs) untangle that because i could interrupt that with paradoxes who is this i whose consciousness is generating the experience right but but there's one thing i wanted to, to say when you you know you were saying like you know, I don't know why I'm, you know, having such a good experience now. Maybe there's some karma, or there's some, you know, something that I have done. And I'm heavily influenced by Taoist thinking. I spent a lot of my life in Taiwan. And there's a concept of fortune in that way of thinking that, like, sometimes, like, fate and fortune, Ming and Yun. Like things happen to you and you don't try too hard to tame them with explanations, which is a kind of a control mindset. If I can explain why I'm having a good experience and why he's having chronic disease, if I can reduce that to some choice that I've been making then I'm in control again. Yeah, because I can keep making that choice and getting the desired outcome. Let me figure it all out. Let me reduce the wildness of this universe to principles Mm. so that I can be in control now. And I would invite, at least temporarily, a release of that for a lot of people and to, to greet your good fortune with gratitude. 
Well, you know, it's funny you say that because there's almost a guilt. Like even when I was saying mm -hmm. like my life's better than ever, I'm like, yeah. God, what about all the people who are really struggling? I mean, even mm -hmm. before the the situation we find ourselves in now, but even before that, you know, the mm -hmm. starving kid in Bangladesh, whatever, right? It's like, oh God, it's like that plain small thing. Oh, God, dare I announce mm -hmm. my success and happiness? It, it, it's going to um, yeah. you maybe know, hurt you someone's feelings or offend them. Maybe you don't announce it. Like what, what comes from the gratitude might be that you do, you do hold it close and what comes from it maybe is that you like from gratitude comes generosity mm, mm -hmm, gratitude mm -hmm. is really taking in that you've received something that you've received a gift to create a narrative that well i've earned this that's a repudiation of the feeling of gratitude gratitude is scary to feel in a way because the ego says well if I accept that this was a gift, then it's not really mine and I need to give forward and I'm under obligation. It scares the ego to, to feel full gratitude. Or just acknowledging its own impotence in mm -hmm. affecting change too, right? right? That's, that's true too. To me, your light environment is just as important as proper nutrition and fitness, maybe even more depending on how clean your diet is. And hopefully by now, you know how brutal non-native blue light exposure is for you, especially at night after dark. The short version of why is that blue light exposure crushes your melatonin production and increases cortisol. This is a really bad idea if you're trying to get good quality sleep. I've been blue free at night in my house for many years and have scoured the internet for countless hours to try and find pure red bulbs. This is why I was so stoked to find the Lumi Sleep Plus bulbs from Blue Blocks. They are awesome and check all of the important boxes. Most importantly, they only emit red light. So no blue, green, yellow, or orange light, just pure red light, which is optimal for melatonin production. To take it a step further, they even added a converter into the bulb that lowers the EMF and reduces flicker to almost non-existent levels. Flicker is bad as it can cause neurological issues like headaches, migraines, and even photosensitive epilepsy. And here's a cool test you can do for your home lighting. Take a short video of any bulb in your house in slow motion, then watch it back to see how much your lights flicker. And if they do, I would highly recommend replacing them. And the Lumi sleep bulbs are non-dimmable as dimming a light will increase flicker and EMF rates. Plus, you don't need dimmers when the light is pure red because you want that warm, mellow light at night. So I'm just obsessed with these things. I take them with me on every trip and have them all over the house. If you want to grab some Lumi Sleep Plus light bulbs, here's what you do. Visit blueblocks.com slash lifestylist and the code lifestylist will save you 15% off your order. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com slash lifestylist. Right. Like I remember trying to get sober and it was like, God, I can do this. I can do this. You know, it's like, oh, I just got to try harder. Just, I need more discipline, you know, mm -hmm. more will. And it just, that failed. Right. And then eventually the ego's shell had to crumble and make room for the grace of God, literally to come into my life and just go, poof, mm -hmm. you're good. Yeah. Maybe you can't do this. You know, yeah. And then yeah. kind of, you know, after the fact going either at times like, yeah, I did this, you know, but more than anything going, okay, it's even scarier that i didn't do this i just kind of showed up you know in 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 a in a humbled state humiliated and humbled state mm -hmm. and something of benediction went poof waved its magic wand and here i am 25 years later sober you know and i'm not saying that there's no such thing as a choice but even when it's clear that you're 
that you made a good choice and it brought good things to your life. And yeah, maybe you celebrate having made that choice. However, there's also the gratitude for having been in the position to even know that there was a choice to be made. And a lot of, because most of the choices we make are unconscious. So even as you hold for somebody that they are not victims of circumstances, like this is, this is a paradox coming in because we talked before about how people make their choices from the totality of their circumstances. But it's also true that we are not slaves to our circumstances. And one way to see the maturation process that's happening today is that we are becoming aware of our capacity to choose in areas where we had not been aware of it before. And we can be allies and brothers and sisters to each other in reminding each other of this truth of being in choice. So what I'm saying is that even our capacity to choose can be greeted with gratitude. There's a truth in that. And the release, the surrender, is the surrender of being able to take credit for it. Because that's <laughs> it's a trap. Because then the next step is, well, I'm making these choices and so-and-so isn't. It's, I'm better than you sneaking in through the back door. And then you emanate the stink of sanctimoniousness. <laughs> and you become no well longer- said. No yeah. longer a walking invitation for others to be in choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love what you said before, too, about the gratitude kind of um, facilitating the ability to serve, right? I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you know that some benefit that's reached you in your life is coming out of an act of grace, and maybe you were in the right place at the right time, or you made decisions that aligned you for that experience, but anytime, and especially going back to the just the phenomenon of being able to be sober for me all those years ago. It's like, not that I was even available to be of service and to start caring about other people. It's like, I had to, because I knew there was something that had been done for me that was so miraculous. Mm -hmm. There was, Mm -hmm. I was just, was, and am continually, maybe even more now than ever compelled to give of myself because I'm going, God, look at this amazing thing that I've been Mm -hmm. graced with. I just, I have to have other people have that experience, you know? Amazing grace. Yeah, to just be able to play even minute role in that thing happening that's above and beyond all of us, you know? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I mean, that's really the, I think that one of the fundamental principles of addiction recovery in the 12 steps, obviously it's like, take the 12 steps, which are just such a fascinating and powerful teaching to arrive here on the planet when they did. And the culmination of the whole 12 things is that now you go out and be of service. Like that's the goal is to have this spiritual awakening where Mm -hmm. you're fulfilled enough that now you can go help other people. It's not like at the end of that, they're like, and now you just chill and get what you want. (laughs) You know? And I, I love the formulation of the 12 steps in its purest form. It's not a prescription of here's what you have to do next. It's a description of what happens, and it, it's phrased like that exquisitely. I, oh, interesting. Right? What, what's the first one? I realized that I was powerless. Like, admitted to my... Uh, I admitted, 
to myself that I'm powerless over yeah. alcohol and that my life right. has become unmanageable. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's a description of a process. And Oh, right, right. I see what you're saying. And, and so it's not like, this is one of the deep traps is to turn everything into a, t- into a to-do, therefore an accomplishment, and therefore, you know, another source of, of stress and conditional self-approval and self-righteousness and all that stuff. But if you really go to the pure essence of the 12 steps, it's a description of a process. Oh my God, you're so right, dude. This is great. Yet, even this though it's great. just a description of a process, it has potent transformational effect. And this goes back to power versus force. You don't have to force yourself to go through the process. You can trust that when the information comes in, the description of the future comes in, it's written in the past tense, the 12 steps. But you can trust when that comes in, it works on you. You have taken in a medicine. And then you find yourself fulfilling the description. Wow. So true. Yeah. That's such an interesting observation. I'm, of course, thinking of all the other ones, like even the next one, came to believe that a power mm-hmm. greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It's like, yeah. it's, that's, this was always chills. used to bug this, this always used to kind of bug me in the, within a certain perspective of the 12 steps and whatever kind of group it manifests to whatever pathology they're set to address is like people have this um, really short-sighted understanding that the steps are like this process that you do once. Like I worked the steps, people in recovery often say, well, I worked the 12 steps and now I'm going off and doing this and that. And, and thankfully I met people that introduced me to them in a way that was more, this is a lifelong application of spiritual truths. The steps work you. Yeah, exactly. The steps work you. Exactly. And that there's no, it's not like, there's no point at which like, oh, I finished the steps. Like there's not a being done with them because like you just take that one, came to believe like, Mm -hmm. well, there's no ending to that, right? It's like, it's an ongoing process or step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God, asking uh, only for uh, his will for me and the power to carry that out. I mean, how do you do? That's not a done. No. That's a doing this, mm-hmm. right? Sought. What is sotting? Sotting, seeking? Well, it's not really seeking right. like you did it. It's sought as an ongoing thing. The, I don't know. It's, it's, so. it's the naming of something that's already true. Ah, okay. okay. But just because it's already true doesn't mean that it's active. Like the naming of something already true that then paradoxically makes it true, that's called prophetic speech. And the 12 steps have a very strong quality of prophetic speech. Wow. So cool. Yeah. God damn. I didn't know we were going to get to this. I feel like we could do another one sometime. We just like dive into the steps. They're so, it's so interesting. There's, to there's me. a technology inherent in the 12 steps. And, and, you know, I don't want to, to be like in a, like, it's just an example of a much broader technology that accomplishes things without pushing. This is another one of the, Mm-hmm. metaphysical foundations of science that things only happen if you make them happen. If you push on a mass, it will move. And if you don't push on it, it will not move all by itself. So, so the technology of force is a realm that can only accomplish certain things. And we're talking about a much more powerful kind of technology where you don't have to push 
but something happens. I'm going back. Step three, made a decision yep. to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, mm -hmm. right? It's like, what did I do? I just made a decision. Mm -hmm. How long does it take to make a decision? That fast, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's really, it's fascinating. I've, I mean, I've looked at it from this perspective, but it, so imagine like a, what a, a, diff what, a different lens. Imagine what a society or a civilization would look like if we took that kind of technology as our guiding light, as fundamental. If we built a society around that rather than the technologies of force. We're no longer yeah. then at odds with the universe. We are no longer in opposition to creation, seeking to impose our intelligence onto a world that we think has none, but we become participants in the creative process. It's, it's a total revolution in human beingness. Well, also within the 12-step movement is the, are the 12 traditions, right? sometime after the deployment of these 12 steps and some of the literature in order for the groups to start forming there were certain principles that were imbued within those mm -hmm. groups like autonomy and one can't control the other and you can do whatever you want as long as you don't fuck with aa as a whole and and no one can get famous no one can get rich it's never profitable mm -hmm. it it had this i don't know sort of insurance policy built into it of of other truths that were related more to the group versus the individual as the steps pertain more to the individual. It's, it's fascinating. Hmm. And if you look at just the fact that AA and, and the 12 steps in general, whatever group they, they take form in, have really never been corrupted. You mm -hmm. know, like there's not yeah. many things that eventually don't get fucked up because of egoic uh, Monetized drives. Monetized and stuff. Yeah, yeah, just the whole thing. It's, it's kind of just, it's just, it's there in its little church basements and yeah. does what it's supposed to do. And, and, and like, I think people do misunderstand it, you know, and misapply it and stuff and turn it into a to-do list and all that kind of stuff. But, mm -hmm. but it's, it's spiritual essence is still there. And, yeah. and, you know, some of the foundational texts, like there's one just for today. Yeah. I'm familiar yeah. with it because my, my, amazing wonderful former wife was an addict and there was a time when she was working that book and and i saw its power you know like some of yeah. so some of the foundational texts are like i mean they're scripture i i yeah. agree i mean it, yeah. it changed my life you know i mean mm -hmm. that was the absolute well it really is like the i think the foundation of everything that i am and everything i do although i've you know gone off and gone to india and done all these other things plant medicines even but still there's just kind of a core of those truths that just never fail you right open-mindedness mm -hmm. humility willingness making amends prayer meditation service i mean they're they're not like out of the 12 steps they just happen to be put together in a way that there's kind of a logical order to them and they build something, they build a character within mm -hmm. you, you know? And it's like, anytime I'm off, it's because I veered away from those truths, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, how do I get back? I'm lost, boink, go back to the truths, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause they're just universal and, and they work. Yeah, so thank you for kind of bringing us there. It's 11.59, so All right. I think we're about on time. There's so many more things I wanna to talk to you about. So we're gonna, I would love to do a part two at some point. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, the people that, well, the people that don't know of your work will now know it, you know, by the time they've listened to this, but the people that do, I think what they enjoy about you is just your way of thinking. And when you verbalize the way that you think, it's just fascinating. And it evokes, I think, more thinking for those that are reading your work, your books, your essays, hearing you on other podcasts, the podcasts you put out. 
whenever I hear you talk or read your writing, it's like, oh, never thought of it that way. Cool. It's just a really unique gift you have. And thank you for sharing it with mm. us. Well, thank you for, for appreciating it and seeing it. And yeah, yeah I'd like to uh, do this again sometime when the vortex of Austin sucks me back in. Which yes. Seems to be yes. happening more and more. Good. I'm glad to hear <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I'd love to um, discuss with you two other things, which we for sure don't have time for. And that is next time to just uh, put a pin in this, how psychedelics have informed your worldview and your work. And I'd also really like to talk to you about your worldview and perspective that you've shared here today and how that pertains to parenting. Yeah, I would love to do that. You know, it'd be yeah. really cool. Cause I, I'm hoping to be a parent and realize like, I know nothing about it, you know? So I always, I always tend to talk about things on the show that I personally want to learn about. Uh -huh. I know right now, you know, we really, man, we've got an opportunity here to, Kind of create a uh -huh. template and a. We and can a, do a whole thing on parenting. Cause yeah, let's do it's that. Something that I've, you know. I'm assuming you have to be pretty good at it by now because you're a really bright guy and a very conscious guy, and you've got a few kids. So I'm like, oh, I bet he's made good. At lots that. of mistakes that I've learned from. So yeah, yeah. I would love to shorten the learning curve for others. Cool, man. Yeah. Okay, great. One last question for you: Who have been three teachers or teachers? Don't, don't ask me to make three three lists of three things. You know, my <laughs> my teachers of my most important teachers okay. have been people who are utterly unknown. Okay, cool. And they teach me through love. They're the invisible people, the humble people. And I, but to tell you that I would have to tell their stories. Yeah. So I can't just name names. Okay. I love that. That's maybe the best answer ever. And I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's the, it's the enlightened master that comes to fix your toilet and you just mm -hmm. look them in the eyes and you go, Oh yeah, they have it. <laughs> I've had that happen so many times in my life. Right. You know, where I meet someone or- The great souls come and do thankless work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unlike me. I mean, you know, people are always telling me how important my work is and stuff, but, but yeah. you know, not like- yeah. When my wife and I were living in LA, we had this lovely woman that we used to pay to come clean the house. Mm -hmm. And she was the happiest person I have ever met in my life or that I've, you know, been around a number of times. I'm sure I've walked by someone and they have a big mm -hmm. smile. Oh, they look happy, but she, she had the game figured out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly what she did, but she was mm -hmm. so full of joy and gratitude and she just lit up the room. We were mm -hmm. so excited for her to, it's like, just come over and sit on the couch. Don't even do any work. Just be here. Your energy is so contagious yeah. and so beautiful. And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was yeah. a great lesson in, because I, for, I might look at it like this. I could um, sort of project an experience on her and go, oh man, poor lady. She's over here cleaning our house. Like, God, that's got to suck. And again, back to that perspective, um, apparently for her, based on you know her gratitude, graciousness, the joy that she exuded, she loved it. And she would tell me how much pride she took in her work and how she loved being in these beautiful homes and all of her clients were such great people, including mm -hmm. us. And she is living the dream. Mm -hmm. But I project my experience onto that. Like, oh my God, I would kill myself if I had to go around and clean houses all day, mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, I totally get that. Sometimes our teachers are unassuming and even more profound than the ones that we see mm -hmm. on stage or, mm -hmm. you know, read a book by. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Speaking yeah. of books, uh, tell us where we can find uh, your books, website, all that stuff. The internet. <laughs> the internet. My most recent essays are all on Substack. It's... Charles Eisenstein dot substack or substack dot Charles Eisenstein, something like that. And those are linked on your website too. Sort of, yeah. Charles my, Eisenstein. My website's a bit in disarray, but but you Charles can... Eisenstein.org. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Okay. 
because I was researching some of your writing and I found links to them on there. I mean, I dug a little bit, but it wasn't that hard to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks, man. Thanks for coming by and taking the time. I know you're on your way to the airport here soon. I appreciate yeah. you carving out a, a Monday morning, really set mm-hmm. my week off to a great start. Yeah, and, uh, my pleasure. It was yeah, great. Yeah. Great to get to know you too. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Well, just when I think I've learned just about everything there is to know during the past six plus years of producing this podcast, someone like Charles Eisenstein comes along and just, you know, exploding head emoji. I trust that this was uh, as informative and inspiring for you as it was for me. Uh, It's such a pleasure to have these conversations and even more of a pleasure to have people like you listen in as flies on the proverbial wall. So thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we've got another very interesting episode. That's number 393, Ketamine Therapy and the Psychedelic Medicine Revolution with Zappy Zappelin. And uh, man, really another great guy. I'm just having so much fun with these guests. They just keep getting better and better. Um, And Zappy is just a character doing incredible things in the world to uplift humanity and all the things. So please subscribe to the show. And uh, that way, each and every week, these episodes will be magically downloaded to your device or computer. And uh, you don't have to worry about missing anything. God forbid you would miss an episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I know I don't miss any of them, so I'll hold you to the same standard. Uh, Seriously, though, what I would like you to do is uh, get educated about the issues around blue light exposure. I think some of us are becoming aware that uh, having our homes lit with non-native blue light at night and putting our, f- our faces in these screens all day is not doing us any favors. So I went ahead and started my own blue blocking eyewear brand, uh, having a background in fashion, as well as all things biohacking. I married those two bodies of experience with my eyewear brand called Gilded. You can find that at gildedbylukestory.com. That's G-I-L-D, gildedbylukestory.com. We've got prescription glasses now, as well as readers. And I'll be rolling out more frame styles and kids blue blockers very soon. So uh, hop on that site and check out what we've got to offer there. And I think you'll really enjoy it. If you want to stay in touch with me, and all things Lifestylist, it's very easy to do. I'd love to send you an email every Tuesday with the videos and audio and all of the show notes and transcripts from every episode. That's my newsletter. You can find it very easily. Go to lukestory.com newsletter, enter your name and your best email, and uh, every Tuesday I'll shoot you an email. And I send very few emails other than just free content, by the way. Um, uh, really my gilded eyewear brands, the first thing I've produced other than the odd, uh, had an EMF class a while ago, which is still there on my, on my site. Uh, but you know, I don't really sell a lot. I represent other brands that I'm into that I want to share with you uh, as an affiliate. And those are some of the brands you hear as sponsors on this podcast and brands in my online store. Uh, but typically when you sign up for my newsletter, you're just going to get high value, long form content. And, uh, the newsletter is becoming increasingly important to me as an unbridled, uncensored way to communicate information directly from my heart and mind to yours. Uh, I find that the social media platforms are becoming increasingly sketchy and uh, authoritarian. That's my, that's my new word of the day. I think we talked about that a bit in this conversation. 
uh, call it what you will. Uh, you know, it's it's only a matter of time before a guy like me, who tends to be rather outspoken and unedited, um, potentially gets nuked from these platforms and lose my connection to you. Now, I'd hope that would never happen with the podcast, of course. Um, I would still find a way to set up a microphone and uh, put it somewhere where you could find it. But I think the newsletter is a really great way for us to keep in touch. So again, go to lukestory.com slash newsletter and if you do that, you will really never miss anything that I'm up to if you are so inclined. Thank you so much. I hope your year of 2022 is off to a bang. Listen, I understand it's, uh, it's a very confusing and challenging time uh, for many of us. I've, I feel so much for people who have um, you know, lost their ability to uh, earn a living and travel where they feel like traveling and all of the things um, and people that have gotten ill with all kinds of different things. Who knows what they're getting ill with? It happens. People die. People get sick. Uh, it can be very tragic to be a human being and certainly daunting and challenging a lot of the time. But I want to let you know, I mean, it's been a really, it was a really challenging year for me in uh, 2021. Um, quality problems, but a lot of problems nonetheless. <laughs> A lot of lessons and challenges. Uh, wow. Yeah. What a year. But anyway, I live to tell the tale. And obviously, if you're hearing my voice right now, you did as well. But despite the insanity we see in the world, um, I just want to offer the perspective that we're getting a myopic view of a very radical turning point uh, in the journey of humanity. And things are really reaching a critical mass of change. And uh, oftentimes, when we approach a catalytic period of time as a species, uh, it appears that everything's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But sometimes that, um, you know, cocoon uh, that the caterpillar has built um, can seem confining and dark. However, as we know, using a really cheap metaphor here, um, that when conditions are appropriate, and timing is right, that butterfly does indeed emerge and then die shortly after. No, I'm just kidding, but that, that is what happens. Um, you know, life is is 100% fatal, as they say. But uh, in all seriousness, um, I think there's always something each of us can find to be grateful for. You know, I think of uh, the book, um, A Man's Search for Meaning, uh, about a man going through some incredibly trying times. That would be an understatement to frame it that way, but I'll do so in the interest of time and uh, still manage to, you know, find the beauty in life. And sometimes that beauty is just, you know, having someone near and dear to you that you can love and be loved by. And sometimes it's just changing one's perspective from moment to moment in those dark hours, the dark night of the soul. You know, I'm uh, sure that many of you listening are familiar with that term and if you're not familiar with that term, I'm sure you're familiar with the phenomenon in the human experience of just going through challenging times. And I think as a collective, at this particular juncture, we are in a dark night of the soul of all dark nights. And uh, on the other side of that, I can only hope and only pray and believe that there is in fact a new world um, just waiting to emerge as the collective level of consciousness of humanity and really the energy field of the entire earth uh, is upgraded. And um, sometimes in the midst of an upgrade, things get a little clunky, <laughs> to say the least. 
So, uh, you know, that's, that's my go get them kid slap on the back for 2022. If you're having a hard time, man, hang in there. I just want to let you know, there's always, always hope. I mean, I've had periods in my life where I've been in immense suffering and obsessed with suicidal thoughts and all kinds of darkness. And, uh, and I made it through, I'm making it through. If I did it, I know you can do it. So keep your chin up, know that I love you, and I hope that this show is continuing to support you and your journey each week, and I'll see you on Tuesday. 